Hello and welcome to my podcast where I discuss, not amongst myself, any topic, event, or idea that interests me. Today I'm here with my friend Lucas um, and we're going to talk about appeasement and global politics. So Lucas, um, what does the quote, I have returned from Germany with peace for our time mean to you? This is a quote from Neville Chamberlain. Uh, what does that mean and what does it represent? Uh, so. Gene, that quote is from when Neville Chamberlain came back from Munich in uh, 1938. He had made an agreement with the Nazis that ceded uh, certain ger- ethnically German uh, territories of Czechoslovakia to Germany. Winston Churchill had, of course, at the time disagreed with it. it to me, this quote, which came from well, when he came back from the agreement, it allowed the Germans to take territory of Czechoslovakia. It was defended by the Czechoslovakians. It had quite a lot of fortifications set up there and weakened the UK and France's uh, because, of course, France was involved with it too. Uh, they didn't object either. Um, right. It decreased their influence in the region and it um, it strengthened it strengthened Hitler's position as the since the fortifications that the Czechoslovakians had built were in the Sudan region. Right. Germany taking it and having their two allies who had agreed to protect them, including the Soviet Union, which uh, not many people know. The Soviets also had um, agreed to honor that. that. Uh, yeah, they they had signed pacts with Czechoslovakia, um, but every all of them they just did they just let the Germans take the Sudan land. So you think, so obviously, from what you're saying, this was also, this was a right, a military and strategic blunder, um, but it's also sort of an act of cowardice, not just from a military and strategic perspective, but from a political doctrine perspective, which, which would, um, end up casting its shadow over the whole of the war. So do you mind explaining, um, appeasement? I'll say a bit about it and then you can elaborate. So... Appeasement, at least in this context, was the two arguably more powerful um, forces, uh, Britain and France, were meant to defend uh, Czechoslovakia, but they they didn't honor a prior agreement and instead ended up in a uh, weaker military strategic position because they wanted to avoid war at all costs. Um, why do you think they, they made this decision um, and chose to prioritize pacifism over um, their allegiance to Czechoslovakia and the Czechs and the Slovak people um, and their position as um, global regulators? Well, a large part of the reason is because of a, a pacifist populace. You know, after the horrors of the Great War, which you know, had men sitting in trenches for years on end, dying of disease, of the elements of everything, and only only to get a bit of ground when they would ever even experience combat. It was it was just a terrible thing that sparked a lot of pacifism. The reason why appeasement was such a um, what was used in the interwar period of World War One and World War Two so much was because people did not want to go back to ultimately they didn't want they don't want to have another great war right which Ironically. which was the which was the reason because they thought they could 
eventually either stop the war by hopefully allowing the Germans to do what they want, um, or they would delay it long enough in order for them to be able to get the industrial advantage. Because, like, the French and the British were, were rearming under, under uh, Chamberlain. It's just they were... They, did, they didn't re quite realize that the Germans were able to rearm a lot quicker than they were. I so see. it was not necessarily a smart idea to give up their strategical advantage. Um, to answer your question, it was mostly uh, it was about the political aspect and I guess the quote-unquote moral aspect of it more is that the reason why it was happening is because it was unpopular in the public's eye due to the rise in pacifism and also due to people had, be, uh, had been getting new freedoms in the West, um, that is France and Britain and like uh, Western Europe just in general. Mm -hmm. Democracy was a relatively, relatively new thing that has taken place, so. So they, they averted war because of their pacifist mentality. They didn't want to, um, they didn't want to repeat the, the same mistakes or same conflict that, that had just happened even when um, it's fairly obvious that the facts were there that Nazi Germany at the time was was pretty evil and pretty bad. So, so you're saying in effect that this mentality comes from prioritizing the, uh, the aversion of war and maybe from a lack of um, utilitarianism to an extent. Would you would you say that? Yeah, kind of. It was simply pacifism. They just did not want to go to war, even though it's not like you can just choose war or no war in a, in a lot of circumstances. In some mm -hmm. cases, war is, for the most part, inevitable. It's just where where do you fight your battle? Yeah, you, you brought up a, a good point there where you, you can't just choose um, war or no war. Um, so to an extent, France and Britain being two uh, global superpowers at the time, um, and at least with the Munich Conference, or agreement, Munich Agreement, they they were supposedly sworn to protect a smaller country, so uh, wouldn't, it have, uh, wouldn't it have been them also dodging their duty to defend more helpless neighbors that they'd commit to um, in favor of playing some some political game motivated by, by fear and not uh, realism? Well, of course, yeah. Um... They they uh, ignored their agreements with with Czechoslovakia, which they had made in in order to uh, in order to avoid war for one more year. That that was just not a good thing um, because it, it gave the Germans the access uh, to Czechoslovakian army equipment. When the when the uh, Germans in, uh, invaded Czechoslovakia, the remainder of it. Um, there was no resistance because the Czechoslovakians had no point. Their defensive mm. line was bypassed by the Germans who had took it thanks to the British and the French. And the um, and the Czechoslovakians would have no French or British even I support see. in the war. They, it would be a one-on-one -on -one war between yeah. Germany and Czechoslovakia. So they they let the Germans go in. That gave them uh, a lot of they they got a lot of Czechoslovakian military equipment which helped them in their war on Poland. Just for people who don't know, it was things like the annexation of Austria, then the Munich Agreement, uh, which paved the way to the start of the Second World War. And of course, the, the Allied nations, uh, principally Britain and France, 
eventually did um, uphold their their um, agreements. However, they had not done a very good job to put themselves in a position where they could actually enforce those agreements. And by the time war was apparent, they couldn't defend their, their allies like Norway and Poland and Russia to some extent. But then looking a bit more broadly, so not all scenarios in global politics, I certainly hope not, are like the Nazis where it's so clear that there's a good and bad side and that interventionalism is a good option. So what do you think separates uh, just blatant appeasement uh, from compromise? Because obviously compromise is something that you want to seek to have. The, you know, the, the image of um, world leaders sitting around a uh, table at the, the UN or the uh, G20 summit uh, that's something that you want, but where does appeasement diverge from that? And do you think it's merely an extreme version of that, or do you think it's um, sort of a different animal? Well, I would say that the main thing is you have to know who you're talking to. If you are talking to another democracy, uh, if there are two democracies that get into some sort of conflict over anything, like let's say like the United States and Canada, of course... The, the leaders and the people who are going to be heading this diplomacy are going to be they're going to be backed by the people the the main thing is is that you have to know your opponent that or I see you, I guess your opponent or whoever you're discussing with and uh, have, conducting diplomacy with that that's the m most important thing you have to know your opponent for instance the US with Canada and Justin Trudeau it's very unlikely that Canada is aiming towards some sort of new world order right so making an agreement with them that they will most likely keep is probably a good thing. Um, okay. The other thing is you need to actually, well, with Germany specifically, it was they, the allies had agreements with the Germans that the Germans then broke. The Anglo-German naval agreement, which happened in 1935, which allowed the Germans to rebuild their navy and uh, rearm their navy. So, and that that was made in an effort, sort of more out of cowardice than out of practicality, where they were like, um, "Okay, Germany, we're gonna let you do what you want, but promise to to not go too crazy with this, even though they were dealing with." Because um, of course we know that Hitler's goals were for a you know a united German state, which would have included multiple parts of multiple countries, and it's like you know what this guy is trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily a private thing. Like, I mean, my right. certainly Neville Chamberlain could have given it a read and saw what Hitler's plan was. Obviously, not everything is as clear as the Nazis. Like, they haven't um, well, yeah. necessarily okay. written written a plan for it. But um, a more modern example, um, would you care to dissect sort of the uh, Iran-U.S. conflict within the, the last year? Yeah, so... Uh... Well, with Iran, uh, it ultimately started where Iran was building their nuclear program, and they were suspected that they were gonna that they they were or that they are building nuclear weapons. So then the Obama administration stepped in and made a deal with Iran, which lifted a lot of sanctions uh, that were previously on Iran due to other means, such as them like funding terrorists and stuff like that. The whole hostage crisis and everything. That still was in effect because um, right. it was the same leadership, but right. the sanctions from that. Um, so then the Obama administration agreed to lift 
I, I don't know, a certain amount of sanctions that Iran deemed, of course, worthy enough to make a deal in order for, which was effectively giving them money, um, because we didn't, we didn't rely on Iran for anything virtually, okay. like, it, but the, the, so then, uh, we, it stopped them from building their nukes temporarily until the deal runs out, um, and then Trump comes along and removes the deal, which adds back the sanctions, but would also... Stop regulating uh, their nuclear production. Yeah, I see. They, so, do yeah. you do you think the the lifting of the sanctions under the the Obama administration, I guess, doesn't have anything to do with his other politics? But do you think that diplomatic move was was more out of um, practicality and cooperation, or do you think that there was an element of appeasement there um, to to sort of say, okay, Iran, I see the path that you're on, and I'm going to change that not by furthering sanctions, but um, motivating the behavior in a different way. Do you think that was um, appeasement, well, or do you think it was uh, diplomacy? I think I think it was a bit of both. However, I think you can I think you can definitely resemble the the sort of mentality behind it. You can think and you can interpret it as Iran Iran's government is unlikely to change due to this. Uh, one deal. It's unlikely that the dictatorship in Iran is gonna just all of a sudden disappear and it's gonna become a democracy due to this deal. So because of that, um, it is effectively just pushing uh, or kicking the can down the road uh, in the same way that, you know, allowing the Germans to take Sudan land, mm -hmm. it, it, it avoided war for a year, but in the same way that, the, I don't know exactly when the deal is... Uh, like what the terms of the deal were but after the deal was finished and not um like uh, re-ratified which it was like 10 20 30 something years then whoever was in charge there would have to deal with that because of course if you're like for internal politics which is also plays a huge role in international diplomacy internal right. politics in the same way that the people of england did not want to go to war uh, for anything that the people of the u.s do not really want a nuclear another country that is enemy to us to have nuclear weapons so of course it like that just the way that it would seem towards the u.s people it, it would be like uh obviously it wasn't necessarily obama's fault if iran had nukes but just the meant the the idea that under his presidency iran got nukes our enemy and we didn't do anything about it is not a good uh mentality sure or that yeah that wouldn't be a good luck um yeah. but then also from what I understand, uh, appeasement is a uh, one of its components is sort of rather than not taking away anything is sort of like giving a country something uh, like resources. While that's not in Iran, would you would you say that part is still appeasement? Like we're not we're not like, giving we're not giving them anything right now at least. I mean, like, what do you mean? With the Munich conference, we the UK and France gave out a piece of land to Germany rather than just saying, okay, we're not going to interfere. You can attack the, the Czechs. We're not going to do anything. Rather than do that, they were like, oh no, here's this piece of Czechoslovakia. Here you go um, and take this and be peaceful. Like, I there mean, was a, a gift element to it, which was the appeasement. Yeah, that, that definitely does make it seem better because to the Germans, of course, like, it, it's... You are, um, like, 
potentially willing to work with someone and willing to like say okay i see what you want okay you can have it just just don't go any further sort of yeah I, i get what you mean that actually that does have a pretty big impact on it um because it it effectively let the Czechoslovakians know that they are they would not be protected i mean what i mean like what was the question though yeah, so the, the question was, um, the Munich Conference involved the larger powers actively giving the belligerent something, um, whereas Iran does not involve the major powers giving the belligerent, again, Iran, anything. It's more like when we, we're not imposing sanctions, we're not giving or taking anything away from them. Well, yeah, I mean, in that case, we are giving stuff to them because... It's like, in the current uh, state of what our trade is with Iran, we are not giving them anything. But if we lifted the sanctions, then we are then allowing trade to go through, which means either we're buying their products or they're buying our products. So, like, obviously, it is definitely an action. It's not doing nothing, because you are taking an action to benefit Iran. I see. I.e. lifting sanctions. So, yeah, with Iran sorted, then I guess I'll talk about the game theory precedent for appeasement. This example sort of runs uh, in parallel with appeasement. It's not exactly analogous, but um, the prisoner's dilemma is an interesting thought experiment. Um, To to preface it, the idea is you and another person have been detained. You're being held in separate cells. Um, The police uh, have you on a charge both of you a charge for a crime um and the idea is without communicating to the person you have to cooperate or defect and effectively that's do you say that you didn't do it and neither did they and then they'll detain you both for a year or uh do you defect and say they did it not me and then if they cooperate um then they'll get detained for four years because they're admitting to it and you, and you are not, and you'll go free. But if you both defect and both say each other did it, you both get, uh, let's say, five years. So the prisoner's dilemma, uh, that applies to politics because when you cooperate, um, you're potentially giving someone something for a better outcome, and when you defect, you're um, at least guaranteeing the other person doesn't have a good outcome. But where that factors in is that when you have repeated confrontations with another uh, political entity or another another country, right, the most successful strategy is to um, recognize the action they've done previously and match that. Um, if they defected previously, you defect because uh, that acts as a deterrent. And if you cooperate, if they cooperated last time, you should cooperate next time to show that you recognize the fact that they're willing to cooperate. So when you continue to to mimic the previous strategy of your opponent or your your ally, uh, it'll motivate the the sort of highest scoring outcome from both sides. So in this mathematical version, it is always optimal to mimic their previous strategy and um, meet a defective or a defection with another defection um, at the same scale. So I guess, what are what are your brief thoughts on that, and then we'll wrap up. Well, I think that it is somewhat, like, 
I think that you could probably come to the conclusion and relate it to uh, like politics in uh, a much longer explanation, but I think it definitely does relate uh, because if you think about what it would be in a real scenario, effectively, and so the best strategy was tit for tat, which is effectively so if you have multiple um, multiple times where you have this dilemma, the prisoner's dilemma, and they're all connected, you all, uh, then the best strategy would be to cooperate first turn and then just follow what the opponent does and uh, uh, you kind of explained that but basically I think that suits a real life quite a lot uh, and what actually goes on in the real world with you know human beings and just biological entities that you want to uh, try to cooperate and uh, especially well especially for humans is that you want to try to cooperate with each other if possible because when humans cooperate you can do quite a lot of things uh, mm-hmm. because you have their their knowledge their skills plus your knowledge your skills and that can build they can build off of each other You're right um, and of course though what kind of pulls it back to you know politics is that you you ideally we live in a world where everyone co- would cooperate with each other and no one would be like trying to take other people's land or or invading other people or you know genociding or anything like that um so cooperation would be the ideal but of course we don't we don't live in that world because some you know people are going to try and defect or take land and do things that is uh that goes against the other nations um and so then that would be where you have to you have to uh, match their their defection which would effectively you know Hitler already having broken appeasements multiple times. Yeah. Uh, the um, the point is that, as in Prisoner's Dilemma, in, in the best strategy that was used for the scenario where it's uh, multiple things on end, you you have to uh, match your opponent, and that that's the main thing. If you know your opponent is going to be breaking deals, going to be doing bad stuff towards you, towards other people, you don't support them. You'll you'll cease, you know. Uh, trade and you'll actually you, you like it, it's it's a, another way of saying to know your opponent right and to know because what they're gonna do you match them yeah if you always cooperate then you're effectively the chump in a in an environment where everyone cooperates except for one aggressor who always defects that defector is gonna end up with a much much higher outcome because they can take advantage of everyone who who uh, they come into contact with, so that's why it's important to, both as a as one individual entity, a country, or as a global community, to recognize um, an aggressor, and then and then yeah, meeting it is often, if not always, the best move. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that'll be it for today. Uh, thank you for coming on to talk about this. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you for uh, having me. You're very welcome. All right. Uh, that's all I have today, and goodbye.